you just love that Jamaican music? Man, I, I love that. I just kind of sing along with it. Love the life you live. It's good, man. Well, good morning. I don't know about you, but if you can't tell, I'm excited about this new series. And uh, I really think it's so important for us to really learn to love our life rather than just live our lives. And it just seems like it's too easy for all of us to kind of get stuck in life. And we, we begin to kind of live a, a have-to life where I, I have to do this and I have to do that rather than a want-to life or I choose-to life. And when you go through life choosing, you empower yourselves. You empower yourself to begin to live by priorities rather than by pressures. Now, there's a message outlined there in your program. If you grab that, I encourage you to jot that down because all of us, every single day, we get stuck by so much pressure in our lives. And it keeps us from doing the important things. And we find ourselves on this treadmill of just doing the, the urgent things in life. So when we live a, a want-to life, a choose-to life, we empower ourselves to live by, what's the word? Priorities rather than by pressures. Are you there? Rather than by pressures. All right. And we want that. We want to do that. Now, last week, we learned that if we want to love the life we live, we need to kind of get on purpose. We need to stop putting so many unnecessary demands upon ourselves and, and beating ourselves up. And we need to learn to fully live in the moment. And I want to challenge you this morning during the message time. I want you to live in the moment. I want you to be fully engaged and fully here and fully present, learning to live in the moment. And last week I asked you a very important question. We began this series with this question. What matters most to you? What matters most to you? So you've got to identify what really matters most to you, and then you've got to get your life in alignment with what matters most. You've got to do the things that matter most to you, and then you will love the life you live rather than just living the life you live. Now, we took that question, what matters most to you, and uh, we posted it on social media, and the number one response was... <laughs> Number one response, post on social media, went everywhere. The number one response was, ding, 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 my what? My family, my relationships, my relationship with God, Jesus, okay? My relationship with my spouse, my relationship with my significant others, my relationship with my kids. We had a lot of that response. My, my kids, my family, my friends, my roommates, my classmates, basically our relationships, and I think all of us this morning, whether you are religious or non-religious, we know in the, our heart of hearts that our relationships are what really matter the most to us. And we're not going to love the life we live if we have shallow, if we have poor relationships. We all share this kind of this, this universal longing to love and to be loved to fully experience the longing of our human soul, to be in deep relationship with our Creator, and to be in deep relationship with each other. And you may be single this morning, or you may be married, you may be young or old, you may have suffered unthinkable abuse, or you may have lived a charmed life, you may have been a high school dropout, or you might have your MBA or your PhD, but whatever your background Whatever your baggage, every moment of every day, you're either moving towards the things that matter most to you or you're moving away from them. But you are moving. And unfortunately for most of us, 
all right, for most of us. We have to almost lose what matters most to us before we start living like they matter most to us. Is that not true? Can I say that again? Unfortunately for most of us, we have to almost lose what matters most to us before we start living like they really do matter most to us. And last week, I kind of shared a little snapshot in my family's life. You remember that? About one of our uh, my family's favorite vacation spot. It's in where? Maine. Well, Maine, right? Population 600. Love that place. But I didn't tell you the whole story. You see, on the way to Maine, we stopped off and vacationed with my mom and dad. They uh, rented a house um, up in uh, Hiawassee, Georgia, up in the Georgia mountains. And we were there, and my sister was there with her family. My brother was there with his family, 16 of us in this house. And uh, we usually do something like this every year together for years as a family, a giant family. We always go on vacation together, and, and we, we love it, you know. And I have pictures to show you, um, you know. And, and we'd go away and have a great time. Well, one day, we decided we wanted to go whitewater rafting down the Natahala River. Natahala, is that how you say it? In uh, Natahala, Natahala? Yeah, that place, okay. In North Carolina, and uh, here's a picture of us getting ready to go. I'm the guy with the good-looking white legs from sunny South Florida. See that guy? That, that's me. I mean, my wife says when I go to the beach, I should wear my jeans. It's really that bad, okay? And I'm from Miami. I'm from South Florida. And so Natahala, um, Natahala, this doesn't sound right. Anyways, Natahala River, it's a class two river. Now, the previous year, you need to understand this. The previous year, we went down the Chattahoochee River. And it's a class four river. The Chattahoochee is where they have the Olympics, right? Now, I have a picture here to show you that. Now, as you look at the picture, I want you to notice uh, the look on my face. What does that look like? Yeah! Give it to me. Let's have some fun. Now, look at my daughter right in front of me. That's Janelle. She's got that same look. Mary Beth, my niece over there, you know, and then her mom and her dad are behind us. Now, notice the very back back there, my wife Jan's face. She was scared to death. And you need to pray for her. For almost four decades, she's lived with this family that loves risk and adventure. And she's a trooper, you know, and she tries real hard. And that's, that's her. Now, let's speed forward. Now, a year later, now we decide we're going to go down the Natahala River. All right? You with me? And, uh, and, I, and we got a picture of that one year later, getting ready to go. You know, I looked at that picture. You notice how we all have ADD? No one's looking at the camera. I mean, we're all distracted. And I noticed, too, that bathing suit I had on, you know, I'm still wearing that same bathing suit. That's not too good. See, I was 35 then. I'm still 35 today. Still wearing the same clothes to prove it, you know. Um, and, and when we went down the Natahala, we were given the option to have a guide take you down the river, or you can be your own guide. And I thought, you know, I've done this once before. I'm experienced. You know, I, I know what I'm doing, you know. And I really started thinking all the money I could save if we didn't have a guide. So I said, honey, you know, I think I can be the guide. And she didn't like the idea. And I said, honey, I'll be very careful, you know. And she knows how I like adventure and risk, you know. And I said, I'll be very careful. Have the kids with us, you know. And we'll have a good, nice time. It's only a class two rapids, you know. Last year was a class four, you know. It won't be that bad. And so they had us all huddled up together. And we went through this class together. And they told us all about the dangers of rafting, which wasn't helping my case. It was scaring my wife, you know. And, and they kept emphasizing about, you know, make sure you stop at a certain point going down at the end point. Because if you miss that stop, you head towards what is called dead man's falls. 
And they said, we've actually had 15 fatalities at Dead Man's Fall. So it's very important when you come to the end place that you stop here. I said, okay, okay. You know, my wife says, are you sure you don't want a guide? I said, honey, I, I can handle it. I mean, just trust me, I can handle it. So me and Jan, we get in this little uh, raft, a big raft, and we also had Philip, my youngest son, and my uh, nephew, uh, Tommy, Tommy Burgle. And uh, which one do you think fell out? Never mind, okay. Um, we were having a blast. I got to be honest about it. You know, it was, it was more fun. Um, it was more challenging being your own guide. And maybe I just like control. I don't know. But it was a lot more fun. And we were doing great. Matter of fact, we were ahead of the whole entire bus. We were the first raft floating down that thing. And I was just a little competitive. I mean, we were really just having a great time. And we're coming to the place right before you stop. And then you have below that Dead Man's Falls. And we had one more set of, uh, of rapids to go through, and they were considered, I think, class three rapids. And so I'm working real hard, you know, to make sure we stay ahead of everybody else. And I wanted to hit it right. You know, I saw my spot, and we go in that spot, and then boom, there goes Jan flying out of the raft. And you should have seen the look on her face. You know, like, you're dead, honey. You are dead. And she was scared to death. And she fell out of the raft, and all of a sudden, she immediately did this. That's what they taught you to do if you fall out. Grab your arms, put your feet forward, you know, in uh, case rocks come and get you. And there she went flying down the mountain, you know. She's flying, and I'm trying to catch up with her, you know. And, and all of a sudden, they had these people on the side, and they were throwing ropes with a buoy, you know. And they'd literally actually throw the rope over her, you know, and the rope would go right by her. And she wouldn't grab onto it. Because she was a rule keeper back then. She's been liberated since then. But back then, boy, she kept the rules. And they told you, if you fall out, grab on your arm and don't let go. So she wasn't letting go. So she's going down the river, and they're all screaming, save the lady, save the lady. All of a sudden, little Tommy Burgle stands up in the rap and says, Aunt Jan, Aunt Jan, you're going to die. Dead man's falls. Dead man's falls. Grab the rope. Grab the rope. And she's just like this. She's just flying down, you know, the mountain. And I remember so distinctly, you know, when you get in these traumatic experiences, I don't know if you experienced this, um, I used to drag race cars, and whenever you had a bad experience, it's just amazing how your brain just slows down, and you can just see frame, frame, frame. It just slows down. And I remember just standing up my raft, you know, getting ready to jump out and save her and rescue her, because she wasn't going to grab onto the rope, right? And, you know, and Dead Man's Fall was coming, and I looked back, and I saw Philip. And Tommy, I thought, there's no way those boys are going to save themselves. You know, I can't leave them. So I sat back down and thought, you know, I could always get another wife. No, I didn't think that. And I jumped in and rescued her and saved her. No, I didn't do that either. She finally grabbed onto the rope. And they pulled her to the side. And I got the raft over to the side and said, honey, you want to get back in and go down a little farther? She says, no, I'll walk the rest of the way. Um, and um, unfortunately... Most of us don't realize how important someone is until we almost lose them. Until we almost lose them. And as I look back on my life, the moments that I loved the most were the moments that I lived the most. You know, and it's really hard to love the life you live if you don't like the people you're living with. I mean, it's really hard to love the life you live if you don't love the people that you're living with. Fred Rogers, y'all know who Mr. Fred Rogers is? He is the host of that TV show called what? Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. How many of you have seen that show before? Great show. 
I heard it's Brent's favorite show. Yes, right. Yeah, thank you, Brent. Uh, up there with uh, Duck Dynasty. And, um, and thanks to Brent for the last two weeks. I've watched Duck Dynasty, and it really is a great show. I think I'm addicted already. Um, great show. And, uh, but Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I, I learned, you want some interesting uh, information today? Mr. Rogers, I found out from Brent this morning. Brent knows so much. We are so grateful to have him on staff. Mr. Rogers, you know why he always wore sweaters? He was all tatted up. <laughs> Mr. Rogers, all he was in the uh, military. He, he was in the Marine Corps, and he had tattoos, and that's why he always wore sweaters when it's 90 degrees outside uh, to cover up those tats because he's trying to talk to those kids. And he was a Presbyterian minister, by the way. But anyways, Fred Rogers said this. I think it's a great quote. You're with me? Let's read it together out loud, can we? Life is deep and simple, and what our society gives us is shallow and complicated. So I'm going to do my best this morning to make it real simple, and hopefully it'll be deep. See, I have found that love and relationships are like growing a young plant. Now, if I was the, the gardener of this young plant, what kind of plant is this? Hibiscus, um, if I was the gardener of this plant, you know, what kind of gardener was I? Would you say I did a pretty good job? I mean, this thing looks good, doesn't it? I mean, it looks like I, I met its needs. I, I gave it attention. I didn't neglect it. I was aware of it on a, on a daily basis. I mean, it's just flourishing. I did a pretty good job, right? Give it to me. You know, I've done a pretty good job here taking care of this hibiscus. Now, my gardening ability sometimes can be disappointing, and often it looks more like this, you know? And as you can tell, I've kind of neglected this hibiscus plant. There's no buds on it. The leaves are wilting. Um, it's alive. It's green. But I kind of overlooked it. Life got busy. Kids are very demanding, right? You know? And as a gardener, I have this... Last plant. And as you can tell, I don't know if you'd even call that thing a plant. It's pretty dead, right? Um, pretty pathetic. And, you know, as a gardener, you know, I, I got my hobbies. I got my kids. I got my life. I got me, you know, and, and I just sometimes get so busy taking care of me and doing what I want to do and my life and my life and my life that I sometimes neglect my hibiscus, hibiscus plant. Now, if you look at these three different plants, which one would best illustrate your relationships? Maybe which one would best illustrate your marriage if you're married or Maybe your relationship with your parents or your siblings or your best friend or your roommate or your relationship with God. Which, which plant would best illustrate it? I keep looking at each other. I keep seeing you do that, some of you that are married. You know, if, if, if this is our relationship, it's wilting, it's not flourishing. You know what we do? We often kind of tell ourselves, well, you know, not that bad you know it, it was worse at one time you know it's, it's getting a little better I know it wasn't what it was at the beginning and and we try to cover up we try to you know we it's it's almost like we want to take a can of of green paint I've lost the top to my paint 
almost like we want to take a, a green paint and we just want to cover up. And I was going to spray. I told John on, on Monday, the worship arts team wanted to spray. And he said, Where's my, don't spray my guitar. So he moved it way over there. But because today's John's birthday and he's such a great guy, he, isn't he awesome, man? He just does a phenomenal job. I decided I'm not going to spray so we don't get any paint on anything. But this is what we do when our life's like this. When we've neglected our relationships, we often try to take the pan of paint and we try to cover it up. We try to spray over it, try to make it look better than it really is. Now, if we've got a relation like this, we kind of know in our hearts. And some of you are here this morning, and that's kind of your relationship right now. It's, it's there, but it's kind of like dead, kind of like in denial. You know, you want to call a relationship, but... You're not quite sure, but, you know, you don't want anybody to know that it's dead. So what do you do? You, you, take, a, you take a bow and you put it on it. You know, it's not sticking like I want. Let's try this up here. Okay, there you go. There we go. And now we feel better about it. But inside we know it's still dead. Still dead. Now, what does it take? To have this kind of a relationship. What does it take for a plant to flourish? What does it take to allow a plant to love the life it lives? This plant is loving the life it lives. Now, I know plants aren't alive, but just, just go with me, okay? We're trying to get a little simple and deep, okay? So if this plant is a plant and it's alive, what is it about this plant? What's happening in this plant's life that's making it love the life it lives? What are some things that are so important? Let's look at them. Four things. Number one is this, sunlight. Sunlight. Look at Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7 says this. Light is what? Sweet. And it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Every plant needs sunlight to grow, right? I mean, you can see them, how they, wherever the sun is in your house, if it's blocked, you can see them. They grow towards the sunlight. They need the warmth of the sun. Light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. I remember years ago when I used to do a lot of scuba diving, and for years I used to scuba dive without a wetsuit. I thought I was a real tough guy. You know, I was really quite stupid. But, um, but you would, when you dive without a wetsuit, the deeper you go, the darker it gets and the colder it gets. And you're down there for like about 20, 35 minutes at 90, 100 feet. And then when you come to the top, man, the, the light is so sweet. It's just so sweet. And, and I remember just enjoying so much getting up, getting a Coke and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and just sitting on the boat and just basking in the, in the Florida sun. You know, and your hands are all tingly and shriveled up. The sunlight was just, it just brought warmth to your body. Brought warmth to your body. And just like a plant needs sunlight, in order to love the life it lives, we need the warmth of love in our relationships. We need the warmth of affection, of attention, of touching and hugging and holding and caressing. We need the warmth of love. And you see, you've got to give love to get love. It's called the universal law of reciprocity. The universal law of what? Reciprocity. And Jesus taught this. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you have heard it, it's been said, you should love your neighbor and, and hate your enemy. But I say to you, what? What do you say? Love your enemies. 
and pray for those who persecute you. You see, prayer and love brings warmth to your relationships. And love isn't love until you give it away. It's the universal law of reciprocity. Jesus said this in Matthew 22. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. Read this last part with me, can you? Out loud. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, love isn't love until you give it away. And love is always anchored in God because God is love. That's the nature and the character of God. He's a loving God. And we need to experience His love for us in order for us to give love. We need to experience His love. And as we experience His love, then we're able to give love to others. Love always comes out of a healthy self. What did Jesus say? You shall love your neighbor as who? As you love yourself. Love always comes out of a healthy self. So let me ask you this. Do the people around you, do they feel your love? Do they feel the warmth of your love? Sunlight. All right, what else does a plant need besides sunlight? To help it to grow. It needs what? Water. Water. And we have a lot of water around here in South Florida. And we've seen in South Florida when that sun hits, you know, and hits your plants, it hits your grass, and, it's, it's, and it doesn't rain. And you can just see them. They begin to shrivel up, don't they? They begin to wilt because they need water. See, water brings the inner strength to the plant. The inner strength. Water is the inner strength. And water brings the inner strength to our relationships. It's the water of acceptance. It's the water of affirmation. It's the water of love. It's the water of respect. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and, what's the word? Life are in the power of the tongue. Our tongue can bring life. Our tongue can bring inner strength into the people that we live with. You see, people's perception of themselves is largely determined by how they perceive you view them, especially little children. Their perception of themselves is formed by the way they perceive you view them. Now, the bad thing about that is the fact that we do. We can put on a face and we can pretend and we can cover it up, but we treat people just like we see them. And if we see someone as stupid, whether you realize or not, you treat them like they're stupid. See, you've got to change your perception of people in order to change the way you treat them. We've got to begin seeing people the way God sees people, with compassion and love and grace and faith. We need to see people through the eyes of Christ. And then we'll treat them differently. Then we will bring positive words, good words. We will guard our tongues so we can help build the inner strength of those around us. See, we need to guard our tongues. Be careful, little lips, what we say. Be careful, little lips, what we say. From a father up above is looking down below. Be careful, little lips, what we say. You know, I find it amazing today that what marriage therapists are finding and categor categorically teaching 
is what the Bible's been saying for 2,000 years. Today, as they study human beings, they, they find that there, if there's one primary need that men need in a relationship, it's respect. And if there's one primary need that women need in a relationship, it's, it's love, to be cherished, to be affirmed. Men want to be admired, women want to be affirmed. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5. He said, guys, you need to cherish your wife. You need to cherish her. You need to love her. And he says, women, you need to esteem your husband. You need to admire him. You need to respect him. He wants respect. She wants love. He wants to be admired. She wants to be affirmed. And the way we do that, it's, it's through the water. It's through the water of our words. It's what we say. Shows that we esteem and respect or we value each other. Ephesians 4.29 says this. Don't let any, what kind of talk? Unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. You see, love grows when it's fed. When it's nourished. And it dies when it's starved. And the people around you need to be nourished with our words and what we say and how we value, how we love, how we respect each other. So are you firming? Are you admiring? Are you building up the inner strength of those around you? Are you? You know, I find so often in relationships, you know, when our needs are not being met, you know, we begin to just focus more and more on ourselves. And we need to focus more, more on our issues rather than our partner's issues. And often when we're not getting love, you know, we're complaining. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And we got the total wrong mindset. If we give love is when we get love. So are you affirming? Are you admiring? Are you building up the inner strength of those around you? Have you ever noticed how when you give a compliment, you give a sincere compliment, you feel better? You see... That's the law of reciprocity. You give love in order to get love. And we need to give more love. And we need to learn to give love without expecting something in return. You see, that's how God loves us. God loves us unconditionally. And so often our relationship, when it's like this or like this, it's all me, 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 my, 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 my needs aren't being met. And we keep focusing on ourselves rather than focusing on Loving and giving love and giving words of positive affirmation and respecting each other and admiring one another. We've got to give love in order to get love, just like in the life of a plant. All right, so every plant needs sunshine, right, which is the warmth, the warmth of love. Every plant, number two, needs what? Water, which is the, the inner strength of our words. And then every plant also needs what? Fertilizer, fertilizer. I think we have a picture. There you go. We got some fertilizer. Some of you are thinking, you know, I kind of feel like that right now. My marriage kind of looks like that right now, you know. And the truth is, there is C-R-A-P in every relationship. But God wants to use the C-R, did I spell it right? C-R-A-P. God wants to use the bad in our relationships to bring about His 
ultimate good in our life. It's called the law of reciprocity. You know, and we, we see this bad and it stinks. We see this stuff in our spouse that we don't like and, and we want to change them. We want to change it. But God wants to use the CRAP in your life to change you, to help you to grow, to help you to change. See, we're always putting our focus on our partner rather than putting the focus back on ourselves. And that's what fertilizer is. What is fertilizer? It's a bunch of what? That's right. Thank you. You said it in church. I didn't. You know, it's a bunch of crap, you know. And I'm telling you, it will make all the difference in your marriage if you'll begin to realize that the CRAP that you see in your spouse, that God wants to use that like fertilizer to help grow you, to help change you, to help make you a better person. Fertilizer. Now, how do you fertilize? You take the rose or the, or, the, or the flower and you peel it back and you kind of pour it in the flower? You take the orange and poke a hole in it and pour it in the orange? Is that how you fertilize? How do you fertilize? The dirt, you spread it all around the soil and you water it in and you let it penetrate all around the soil. And then it gets down to the roots and it comes back up and it ends up with beautiful flowers that bud like this. And in relationship, the fertilizer is our time. It's our time. It's spending quality and quantity time together. And in order to have a growing relationship, we must penetrate the relationship with our time. With our time. I mean, life is busy. But if we don't fertilize our relationship, you know, we end up looking like like this. And eventually, over time, we're going to look like this. We need to make a commitment of time. You know, one of the things I, I just love about our, our alpha growth groups that are, are getting going, and I've had more than a half a dozen people come up to me and thank me, you know, and I don't know why they thank me necessarily, but, but they just absolutely love their group experience. And it's amazing. It kind of gives you structure to help you to spend time with other people. And when you spend time with other people, you grow. You grow spiritually. You grow emotionally. And it's just a great thing to grow. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, he says, look carefully then how you walk. Now, by the word walk, what's he talking about? He's talking about how you live. Look at how you're living. Not as unwise, and that Paul's kind of being nice rather than saying, not like the fool, but as wise. How do wise people live? He says, make the what? The best use of the time. Because the days are evil. You see, we need to put first things first. We need to devote time to our relationships. Love doesn't grow on its own. Love is a verb. It's something you do. And when you stop, <coughs> I'm about dying up here, when you stop doing love, I need some water, the inner strength. When you stop doing love, when you stop spending quality and quantity time together, you stop feeling love. You see, feelings follow actions. And if you just pray and wait for the feelings to come back, they'll never come back. You've got to act towards loving. You can faster act your way into a feeling rather than to feel your way into an action. You've got to feel love by spending time together. You see, most of us want the benefit of a wonderful relationship. I mean, we want this, but we're not willing to dedicate and commit the time to it in order to have that. Most of us, you know, we want wonderful kids. 
great kids, but we're not willing to dedicate the time that it needs to teach and to listen, you know, and to help and to encourage and to instruct that it takes to raise wonderful kids. See, time is the food that makes our relationships grow. All right? All right, so what does a plant need to grow? It needs sunlight, right? Number two, it needs water. It needs number three. And what's the fourth thing that any plant needs in order to grow? It needs air. That's good. That's technically correct, but I'm not going there. But we all need that. That's very good. That's kind of like Jesus' answer, you know. That was, that was very good. Thank you, buddy. All right, well, what else do, do we need? Does this plant need to really grow? Pruning, yeah, that'd be another message another week, you know. But that, that's good. That's really true, Steve. That's one of our elders. He, he's pretty smart, okay. Attention, yeah, that's kind of like the sunshine of warmth. Come on, guys. I mean, the first, protection. Oh, <laughs> protection. That's right, protection. And we're not talking about guns here, okay. We're talking about plants. All right, we're talking about plants. And every plant, if it's going to thrive and love the life it lives, it needs protection from parasites, from insects that seek to destroy that plant. After living about uh, 12 years in Palm Beach Gardens, we moved up to Jupiter. Loved living up there, and we lived there for about 11 years. And a couple years ago, we moved out west, out on North Lake, way out there, out there in the boonies, out there by, by a preserve right across from Ibis, a small little development called Osprey Isles. And, and I love it out there. I love all the creatures. I love the reptiles. You know, I've caught this little guy in my pool in my backyard, and, and I caught a couple of them, you know. And, and the other day, I saw a Florida panther. I mean, it's beautiful and love it, you know. But as my wife says, there's a lot of insects out here. And, you know, and you got those things that make those little moles or those little black dots on your house all the time, you know. And there's grub worms and these fruit flies are just all over the place. And it's amazing. You neglect your landscaping, at least out there, it'll be dead quick. You got these giant grasshoppers that come along and just munch down on everything. I'm constantly spending all kinds of time, and I, and I pay somebody else to do it But in my, in my, my HOA, but I'm constant, my wife will tell you, spending all kinds of time trying to protect my landscape from the insects. And the same is true in our relationships. I don't know if you're aware of this, and those of you that come here often, you know me, I'm, I'm not an alarmist, but I am a realist, and there is something out there that wants to destroy your relationship. There's a parasite out there that wants to destroy your friendships, your family, your home, your kids, your marriage. There's a parasite out there that just wants to eat away at it and just kill it from the outside in. And his name is Satan, Lucifer, the great deceiver. The Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter, warns us. Peter tells us this. Peter says, listen Stay alert. Watch out. Be on your guard. For your great enemy, the who? The devil. He prowls around. You see the word picture here? He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to, say it with me, devour. The devil, the great slanderer, actively seeking, looking for opportunities for a vicious attack. 
And we need to stand firm against Satan. We don't need to run and hide. We don't need to be afraid of the evil one because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Greater is the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ who is in us than he that is in the world. We don't need to be afraid of Satan, but we need to be aware. We need to be on guard. We need to be alert. We need to acknowledge the reality of evil. I don't know how you cannot watch the world news and deny the fact that this place, there is evil in this world, and there is an evil person who wants to harm, who wants to kill, who wants to destroy. That is his objective, and his name is Satan. And he wants to destroy what you love the most. And you need to fight for what matters the most. You need to work hard at trying to protect your relationships. Because there is someone out there that's wanting to destroy it and divide it and to kill it. Several years ago, I read a book. One of the authors was a guy by the name of Merrill Rogers. And he talked in the book about one of his best friends. And this guy bought this house and he wanted to do this beautiful <coughs> garden on the outside. I need some <coughs> inner strength again here. He wanted to, um, excuse me. <coughs> He wanted to do this beautiful, <coughs> I'm, I'm dying. <coughs> I'm, that's just a figure of speech, okay. I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. Um, you know what I'm talking about? I don't, okay. Roger Merrill. And he had this friend, he wanted to do this beautiful garden out in the back of his house, you know. And he had all these dreams and vision of what he's going to do. And so he goes out and he hires a friend of his who had a doctorate in horticulture, of all things. And this gal, she was an expert. She knew about plants and landscaping and what to do. And, and she comes over and she meets with this guy. And he talks about his vision, his dream of this beautiful garden he wanted to create in his backyard. And, and he kept telling, you know, I'm on the road a lot. I travel a lot, you know, so we need to make sure we create something with sprinklers and, you know, and, and timers and how we need to do this and we need to do that. And all of a sudden she just stopped him and she looked right at him. She says, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. But we need to just stop this conversation if you don't understand that if there's no gardener, there's no garden. And a lot of us, you know, we, we want a flourishing relationship like this. We want a relationship that's budding. We want a relationship that's beautiful. But if there's no gardener, there's no garden. We got to roll up our sleeves. We got to protect we got to work hard at this thing called love because it's not easy. It's hard. And often you got to do it a couple times before you figure it out. Because if there's no gardener, there's no garden. So what kind of relationship do you want? You want relationships that look like this? Or like this? Or like this? If there's no gardener, there's no garden. Can we bow our heads in prayer? Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'd like to just take a little second this morning and ask you this question. And I want you just to think about it. What's the one thing that you can do that would significantly improve the quality of your relationships? What's the one thing? I've talked about four things this morning. I want to keep it real simple. 
like you to walk away with one thing. What's the one thing you could do, you could do today, you could do this week, that would significantly improve the quality of your relationships? Is it the warmth of love? Is it to be more affectionate? Is it the inner strength of acceptance and affirmation? Maybe it's the commitment to spend more quality time together. Or maybe it's protecting it from the one who wants to destroy it. Maybe it's growing deeper spiritual roots in your life. What's the one thing that you can choose to do today that would significantly improve the quality of your relationship so you would begin to love the life you live rather than just living it? Maybe this morning, the one thing you need to do is you need to invite Christ into your life. You need to experience God's love through putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And maybe right now you just need to say, God, I acknowledge that I've sinned, that I've made bad choices, and I invite Christ to come into my life and to change me. What's the one thing, the one thing that you can do that would significantly improve the quality of your relationships. God, we thank you so much this morning that you are a relational God and that you want to be in relationship with us. God, help us to choose to do the things that we need to do. God, help us to put the focus on ourselves and not on everybody else. God, help us to go to work on ourselves so we might start loving the life we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.